Second Chronicles chapter 15, we'll be studying who I consider probably my favorite king in Israel's history. Uh, there's some really good stories about David, no doubt, and there's some pretty great accomplishments of King Solomon, but for my money, I think this is my favorite king. Uh, it doesn't have to be yours, but I think this man did so much with so little, and God used him in a very great way. Second Chronicles chapter 15 the Bible says in verse number 1, And the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa, that's the king I was speaking about, and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if ye will seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. Now for a long season Israel had hath been without the true God and without a teaching priest and without, a, without law. But when they in their trouble did turn unto the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found of them. And in those times there was no peace to him that went out nor to him that came in, but great vexations were upon all the inhabitants of the countries. And the nation was destroyed of nation and, and, and city of city, for God did vex them with all adversity." Be strong, therefore, and let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. In verse 8, And when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Oded, the prophet, he took courage and put away the abominable idols out of all the land of Judah and Benjamin and out of the cities which he had taken from Mount Ephraim and renewed the altar of the Lord that was before the porch of the Lord and he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and the strangers with them out of Ephraim and Manasseh and out of Simeon. And they fell to him out of Israel in abundance when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. So they gathered themselves together at Jerusalem in the third month and the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa. And they offered unto the Lord the same, at uh, the same time of the spoil which they had brought, seven hundred oxen and seven thousand sheep. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. Whosoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. And they swear unto the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting and with trumpets and with cornets. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with their whole desire, and he was found of them, and the Lord gave them rest round about. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I come to you this evening asking for your leadership, and Lord, I pray tonight that you would use this sermon to encourage church members, to challenge church members, and in some cases, Lord, maybe even convict. Your word is so quick and powerful, and it, it can accomplish whatever you want it to accomplish, and so Lord, I pray that it would tonight. Lord, guide me, I pray, in this pulpit. May I humbly follow you, and may I be withheld from saying things that don't belong. Lord, also, I pray that you would arrest everybody's attention in this building, not because I deserve their attention, but because the Word of God does, and because what's said tonight has eternal consequences and not just temporary ones. Lord, I pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I'm so thankful for what the Lord's done over the past 32 years. And as I made reference, I do believe this church's best years are ahead of it. I also believe 
that we will not accomplish any of the goals that we set out to accomplish. We will not achieve any great thing for the Lord without the Lord's presence in this place. So how do we achieve that? How do we make sure that we don't just charge forward with our experience and with our knowledge and with all the lessons that we've learned over 32 years, how do we make sure it's not us going forward, but that we are going forward in the power and in the blessing of the Lord? The other night I stayed up a little later than the rest of my family. Um, My wife went to bed because, frankly, she's lazy. Um, I think there's about 11 o'clock or so, you know. Um, my daughters were in bed, and I was staying up, I don't know, watching a sports center for the third time in a row. I'm not entirely sure what I was doing. Sometimes I like to eat a late-night bowl of cereal and just kind of have some you know, quiet time. That's about the only quiet time I get. I'm either getting yelled at by church members or getting yelled at by my daughters or my wife. So sometimes it's just nice to be alone and kind of let my thoughts just settle and not have to work too hard and And so I was staying up much later, and my daughters had been in bed for, I don't know, about two, two and a half hours, and uh, the room was fairly dark, and uh, I I just have the TV on, and and here in a little bit, I'm watching TV, and I glance over, and Bailey is standing like the children of the corn, (laughs) probably grasping the throat of a teddy bear, just staring at me. And I don't watch scary movies. Uh, I don't want any part of that in my mind because to be honest with you, I'm a scaredy cat. But I will tell you right now, glancing over and seeing a half-dressed child staring you down without saying any words is possibly one of the creepiest moments you will ever face in your entire life. I didn't even know Bailey's presence was there. There she was, just standing, breathing heavily, probably wondering if she could rip out my jugular for something I had done earlier that day. There Bailey was, with me. It would be sad if we, like Samson, rose up at at other times before over the last 32 years. God's certainly been with us, but it would be a shame if, like Samson... We trudge forward next year, and just like Samson, we rise up and we set goals and we, we, we charge forward for God, and yet we wish not that the Lord had departed from us. What a shame that would be. How do we make sure that God's presence goes forward with us? Tonight we'll learn four simple lessons from Scripture on how we can ensure God's presence will go with us moving forward. Number one, we'll see that we must remove recurrent problems. Remove recurrent problems. Verse number eight, the Bible says, And when Asa heard these words, the words of the prophet that said, If if Asa would seek after him, God would be with him. But if Asa departed from him and, and deserted God, then God would do the same to Asa. And after hearing these words, Asa does this. He took courage and put away the abominable idols out of all the land of Judah and Benjamin, and out of the cities which he had taken from Mount Ephraim, and renewed the altar of the Lord that was before the porch of the Lord. This is why I love Asa. He did what no other king before him had the courage to do. He removed problems. There were idols in Israel. They had been introduced by King Solomon, the great King Solomon, the King Solomon that that 
uh, built the temple of God, and yet at the end of his life, we find him building other temples to other gods, and we find him offering sacrifices to other gods. And, and Solomon's wives had led his heart away from God, Jehovah. What a shame that is. The great Solomon, the great king, the, the peace king, and yet he introduced idols to Judah, to Israel. And just move forward, just even Solomon's son, Rehoboam, he introduced more. The Bible says that he did wickedly in the sight of God. And, and, and then if you go to Rehoboam's son, and he did the same thing. And he, he transgressed in all the ways of his father, the Bible says. And so what you have is, you have Asa receiving a kingdom that for 20 years has been steeped in idolatry and wickedness and immorality. That's the kingdom King Asa is held, uh, dealt by his father. And the first move that Asa makes, oh, by the way, he's only about 18 to 20 years old. The first move he makes is removing things that have a, pro, a tendency to reoccur, reoccurring problems. Over the last 32 years, I'm not going to lie to you, there's been very difficult times. I've been there. I've been in my living room as my parents shed tears and other faithful church members shed tears only as they're breaking the news to my parents that they're leaving the church. I've been there when the, the deacon just leaves his deacon book leaned up against the exterior door as my, at my father's entrance there. I've been there in those tough times. I've been there when, when things... Uh, out of our control and, and we've got NBC5 parked in our parking lot and they're broadcasting how we're supporting somebody so wicked. I've been there and it's been hard times. And many times we've had to handle these problems and these conversations are not always the easiest to have. It's not always easy telling somebody you can't live the way that you're living and serve, the, serve where you're serving. You, you can't live a life of immorality. You can't li live a life of intoxication and then come on church on Sunday and, and you're right in front of everybody serving God. And we've had to have these conversations. And it would be so much easier over the next 30 years if we would just allow anybody and everybody to serve God. But King Asa knew that problems reoccur. And if there's problems now, there's going to be problems in the future. And so what he did is he took down every idol. He cleaned up the city. He cleaned up the kingdom. And my friend, I'm telling you right now, there is nothing in this life worth separating God in your life from. Do not allow one sin so much place in your life that you would rather choose that sin over God's blessing in your life. And what I'm coming aware of is I, I'm understanding that God will always separate from sin. It happened in Genesis and it will certainly happen now that if sin is present, God will not be. Amen. God did it and over the entire nation, over one man Achan's sin. It, it, I wonder tonight if, if maybe God's blessings are prohibited here by my sin or by your sin. We all bear responsibility. How is God going to bless a ministry when, when others in this community see our Facebook posts and see the lifestyle that we live outside of these walls? Why can't we just be the Christians on Monday that we are on Sunday? And Asa understood that if we're going to move forward with God's presence in our lives and on the kingdom, what we must do is remove reoccurring problems. 
What we ought to do is cut, uh, cut sin out like the cancer that it is. We ought to remove it and repent of it and get right with God so that we might move forward with God's blessing in our life. Have you ever considered this? Why are there so many powerless churches today? In our community alone, there are several churches that can seat over a thousand in their auditorium. And throughout this nation, you drive by church after church after church with beautiful big buildings and properties and facilities and all sorts of things, and yet our country is getting progressively worse. It's not for lack of church, it's for lack of Christianity. What we must understand is the reason there's so many churches and so little good Christians is because God's blessing is not on these churches. And the only thing that I can figure is there's sin somewhere in the camp. We must remove recurrent problems. Number two, we must restore right priorities. Verse number three tells us that One of the things Asa did, the Bible says, Now for a long season Israel had been without the true God and without a teaching priest and without the law. We find the first thing he did is he reintroduced God's word back where it belonged. I I had this conversation the other day and I want a, a good singing program at our church and I hope that people enjoy our songs and I hope that our choir does a good job and our musicians do such a great job. But at the end of the day, our church will never be built on a music program. At the end of the day, our church will never be built on carnival days for the children's church. That's just not what we're going to build our church on. We will build our church on the study and the teaching and the preaching of God's holy word. And one of the reasons that this kingdom was so... Uh, 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 divided and, and there was no God's and God's presence wasn't there. One of the reasons was because they had been without a teaching priest so long and the law of God had been removed. Certainly I understand that the devil's already accomplished taking the Ten Commandments out of schools, but he's not far from accomplishing it in some churches either. I want you to understand that this church will be built on the teaching and the preaching and the living of God's Word each and every day. I'm not here to impress you with my words. I'm not here to try to tell you funny stories. And I hope that maybe you enjoy some of the stories. But I am here to teach you the eternal truth of God's Word. And the other day I was reading through an email. And uh, I had sent it to a lady a long time ago. She was visiting the church. And I sent her an email and I said, Hey, it's, I've missed you at church. I know your kids were coming to the youth department. And... Uh, I just wish, wish you'd, it'd be good to see you again, and I'd like to invite you back to church. And she sent me an email that cut me deeper than any email I've ever received in my life. She said, I came to your church, and my children enjoyed it at first, but, uh, but I find myself starving. I find myself reading the Bible more and more and more, but not because I'm inspired to by your preaching, but because I think there must be something more. It was probably the hardest email that I've ever read. And I'm here to tell you I've evaluated and reconsidered each and every moment of this. And I've tried to understand what, what maybe she was talking about. Because if I or preacher are neglecting to teach the word of God, we are failing. 
It is our goal, it is our, our dream, our hope, our plan, and our mission to communicate God's word effectively because my advice and my experience will always fall short of the magnitude of your problem. I will not always understand what you're going through and I will not always grasp the the emotions that you're feeling and the pain that you're feeling, but I know a God that does and I know a word that always has the answers. So my goal and my mission is to study this book and to teach this book so that God may apply his word. For the word of God is quick and powerful and is sharper than any two-edged sword and is uh, quick even to the dividing asunder in joints and spirit, even to the bones and marrow. You understand it is only God's word that can change the heart of a Christian. We must restore right priorities and Asa did so by reintroducing God's word. But he also did this. He, He reintroduced supplication at God's altar. Verse number 8 said, And when Asa heard the words, the prophecy of Oded the prophet, he took courage and put away the abominable idols out of all the land of Judah and Benjamin and out of the cities and had taken uh, taken from Mount Ephraim and renewed the altar of the Lord that was set before the porch of the Lord. You see, in Israel, the altar would have been the altar that they offered burnt offerings on. It would have been the altar that the priest would have all offered these burnt offerings on. And, and so this had been in disrepair, we, we understand. And, and Asa restores it. What a wise thing he did. But did you know that the, the altar later in the Old Testament becomes more than just a place of offering sacrifice? But in fact, in the book of Joel, the priests are instructed. The Bible says in Joel chapter 2.17... Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. And let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine inheritance to reproach, that the heathen should roll over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? The instruction comes from God Almighty that the priests should bow a knee at an altar and request for supply from God on high. Oh, we see that the altar becomes more than just a place of offering, but we find that the the altar becomes a place of offering prayer. They kneel there at the altar between the altar. They, they, They kneel there requesting supply from God and not requesting justice, but requesting mercy. The altar had become a place of prayer. One thing that Asa made sure of was that prayer was a part of his kingdom. And one of the only reasons that I can think that the New Testament church is so powerless is because we're not asking God for it in prayer. God said, ye have not because ye ask not. And, and ye have not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. What is more important to you that God's power be on this church or that you get the promotion? Or that you get the next raise or that you get the next job? What is more important? Because oftentimes our prayer life might not reflect the priorities in our own life. We may say we want God's power, but what do we pray for the most? Is your house a place of prayer? Do you have a private place of prayer? Has this altar become a place of prayer? I once heard that an altar, uh, an altar life will always have altars in their life. Do you remember a special time of prayer where you knelt 
down by your bedside or maybe at this altar where a message spoke to you so greatly that you remember that prayer and you remember that moment. Church, do we have altars like that? Every, every time we see God do something great for Abraham, what does he do? He builds an altar there. Every time God does something great for Israel, we see them building an altar there, a memorial of that day. Do you have moments in your life of God's divine answering of prayer? We ought to be a people of prayer. We ought to love to pray. You see, uh, Asa did a few things. Number one, he removed recurrent problems. Number two, he restored right priorities. And number three, there was a recommittal to relegated possessions. Verse 11, I want you to see this. The Bible says, And they offered unto the Lord the same time of the spoil which they had brought, 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep. If you study this passage out, I don't have the time to teach it to you, but in the previous chapter, they've just won a great battle over the northern tribe of Israel. They, uh, Jeroboam has come down. He was always fighting against Rehoboam and now against Asa. And, and uh, Jeroboam's just a real pest in the side, uh, in the side of, of the southern kingdom of the tribe of Judah. And so we find this take place. And, and during the battle, even one of the kings there of, of the southern kingdom, the tribe of Judah, he stands up and he's kind of telling them that, are you really going to fight against us? Because we have the Lord. Your king has made this cult of golden calf worship. And this is really what happens. And, and it's funny, but Jeroboam sends a, a subtle attack from behind. He's trying to flank the army there. And God gives Judah a great victory there that day. In fact, the Bible says that they chase Jeroboam and the rest of his kingdom. They take over city after city and they spoil them there. A great spoil. So what they're offering here is what God's blessed them with. What we must understand is to get to the place that you are sitting right now, there have been so many sacrifices. There has been so much time and so much money just to buy the seat you're sitting in. We're restoring the Spanish church right now and I want to thank Brother Jerry Creamer who's doing a great job. I think we got the pews done and we're excited to, well, I'm not excited to move them back tomorrow, but we're moving them back tomorrow. Uh, I'm not excited to lift all the weight, but we're doing it anyway. And, and I, I remember those pews and when you go look at those pews, on the very end of those pews, the, the end cap of the pew, there's a plate there and it says that this pew was purchased by so-and-so. And, and the other day, a preacher came down there and he was like, I'm so glad we didn't get new pews. He said, I, I just, I'm glad we didn't get new pews so that we could keep these plates. And I said, Dad, if we had gotten new pews, those plates were going on them. And while that's just a small reminder of that particular pew, we've got to understand is every light fixture, every speaker, every toilet in this place has been purchased by great sacrifice along the way. Some of it has been my sacrifice, 
but a great amount of that sacrifice has been your sacrifice. And it's been sacrifice of people from days gone by. I remember reminded of J.D. Phillips who gave so much to the best ministry of our church. I'm reminded of guys like D. Burney and, and I'm just so thankful for all that they did for this place. And Jesse Burney, I'm just so thankful for men like this. I'm thankful for men like Jerry Cornegay, who's not able to be with us tonight. I'm, I'm thankful for men like Jerry Cook, who's not here with us tonight. But that door wouldn't know how to open if Jerry Cook didn't come to this church. I'm thankful for these men. I'm thankful for men like Harold Pickett, who is here at 9 o'clock every morning and leaves at 12 o'clock every day. And then comes right back at 101 every day and is gone at 4 o'clock. But I'm thankful for years and years of faithfulness. And the building that you're in and the place that you have and all these facilities, we walk through and we brag about them as if it's some notch on our spiritual belt. But this was not accomplished by just people just trying to get together in a social club. This was accomplished by godly men and godly women who gave of themselves to earn the seat you're sitting in tonight. And if this church is going to accomplish anything in the days ahead... We must get back to times of great sacrifice. Nothing great is earned without sacrifice. What are you going to sacrifice? Maybe it's your money. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's just a heart that is so sold out for one little bus girl's class or one little bus boy's class that one day you influence someone like Luke Taylor and Brian Archer influenced James Scott. I don't know, but what are you going to sacrifice? Because unless we all start sacrificing, this is where it ends. This is where it ends. We must come back to a place where we recommit to relegating our possessions. And number four, I share with you quickly. We must, each and every one of us, must rededicate ourselves to a relentless pursuit of God. Notice in verse number 12, the Bible says this. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, their, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul. And I'm afraid because of the familiarity that we have with that phrase, all their heart and all that soul, we underestimate how much it's actually referencing. We say, oh, yeah, well, I, I love God with all my heart, but they made a covenant with each other. They made a covenant with God that they would do everything in their power to seek to know God more. It was a covenant with everyone. In fact, the Bible says that the tribes come together and the covenant was so great that, that as the tribes come together and make this committal, they make this great commitment to God. They say, and if there's one among us that's not willing to seek after God with all their heart, this is pretty tough. We're going to put them to death. Now, I don't believe in the capital punishment, specifically in terms of the New Testament church. <laughs> I don't think that we're going to stone anybody tonight. But I'm here to tell you this. If this church wants to see anything accomplished moving forward in this very wicked day and age, each and every one of us must choose to follow after God entirely. Holy. With all of our heart and with all of our soul. 
And, and what we do is we just try to, we, we try to pie chart God. We, we, we fractionalize our time based upon what we find important. You see, we, we say, well, this part of my chart belongs to this place, and this part of my chart belongs to this place, and, and this part belongs to the church, and I'll be there at Wednesday night, and I'll be there at the Sunday services, and I'll be there when it's time to go soul winning, and I'll, I'll be there when it's time to teach, and I'll, I'll be faithful. But what you don't understand is church, and specifically your pursuit of God, is not part of a pie chart. It ought to be the pie chart. Everything else must fit inside the context of that chart. Everything you do ought to have some eternal value to it. If you're taking your kids to T-ball, boy, I hope you're representing Joshua Baptist Church and more importantly, the Lord God Almighty out there on those T-ball fields. If you're taking your kids to a soccer game, why don't you just wear a Joshua Baptist Church t-shirt and let everybody know there that you're not ashamed of the church that you go to and we still preach the Bible and we still sing good gospel music and and we're not going to compromise on standards that's the church that you belong to. We like to stick God in our pie chart and He belongs right next to maybe our our country club meeting or maybe next to our gym membership or maybe next to our fishing or our hunting but, but we like to put God on the pie chart but He is the pie chart. Tonight I think if we were going to a job interview... And the actual terms of this contract of an entire and whole pursuit of God were given, we would reject the job right away. You see, that interview might sound something like this. We ask that you be on call 24 hours, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. You will not work in terms of hours, but in terms of days. The compensation will be meager, but your entire and whole commitment is expected. You will have to forsake family time and free time and all pleasures and other pursuits in pursuit of this career. There are no raises or promotions. You will start at the lowest level each and every day and work up from there. You will rarely have clear instructions, and yet you will still be expected to excel at various and difficult tasks. You'll be the face of the company, so never let your guard down. You'll live in a glass house. People will despise your job, and they will hate your title. You will be criticized and slandered, and the only unwavering friend that you will have in this world is your employer. How many of us sign up for that job? And yet that is what God says when he says, seek after me with your whole heart and your whole mind and your whole spirit and soul and might. Do we sign up for that? Because because what I'm talking about tonight is this is a surefire strategy to assuring God's presence moves forward with us. But partial commitment is no commitment at all. What you hope to do, more than likely, you won't do. I'm suggesting tonight we enter into a covenant. A covenant that wants to go back to the days gone by. A covenant that 20 years from now we can hear other people talking about preacher knocking on their door. Or how about you knocking on their door? Such a blessing this week. I got to go over uh, to, to Brother Josh and Miss Amanda Lackey's house and... 
I'm telling you right now, I was sitting there talking to them, and they said, did you know that eight years ago we were invited to an anniversary service? I said, really? He said, yeah, we weren't able to go, but we went the next week, and we joined the church shortly after. You know who invited them? Curtis and Angel Harper. You wouldn't even know Brother Curtis and Miss Angel Harper ever do that much around here, and yet it's things like that. Invitations given spontaneously that eight years from now (laughs) make us so proud to be a part of this church. You've got to commit. We can't move forward lackadaisically. We, we, We can't just keep doing the same old, same old living mediocrity so that we can expect success. That's not the way it works. I challenge you tonight. Will you follow after God with your whole mind and your whole heart, seeking to serve Him with your best each and every day. The pay is not much. The glory rarely comes. But one day God will look at you and say, Well done. At that moment it will be worth it all.